0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that.
2: I've never prayed, but tonight I'm on my knees. I need to hear some sounds that recognise the pain in me. I let the melody shine, let it cleanse my mind. I feel free now, but the airwaves are clean and there's nobody singing to me now. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now floating in schema celica. My name's Kevin Graham, and after... He passed the breathalyser test. I'm John B.
1: Boyce. what's happening? How are we getting on, mate? Uh, um, not too I, bad, I like not the, too bad. I like the choice for this week. but a wee bit rushed, so we're just going to share an album this week, Kevin. Eh, not we? So it'll be quite Hi. interesting to share views on what is an all-time classic.
2: It is an all-time classic album and also hopefully it'll take the, a wee bit of entertainment before obviously we're competing with a Champions League qualifier tonight. Mm-hmm. So the, the pre-match will be on straight after us. So we'll be getting shoved out the door uh, oh. extremely quick like a fat pub landlord shouting last on mm-hmm. last orders when he wants to go home on a Sunday evening. Um, I've, I've got something to ask you, Boise, before we get into this game. Right, man. You're the, you're the doyen of fashion and, and, and the Axon team. <laughs> Is it all right for me to do this podcast in flip flops because it's so hot?
1: You're not wearing yeah. socks with them, are you? No, no, no
2: socks, no socks. Oh, no, 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 I get it, man. No flip flops are all right. Sliders sort of things, are No, no, Javi Anna's, mate. F- oh, fuck. I, oh, it's I get what I mean, so eh? You can, can't come with them, that's fine. The album that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Verve Urban Hums. And that's because we've got a fantastic prize uh, which will be given away at the yep. end of this month to and all our subscribers are going to go into a uh, draw for it. Yep. And it. And it's a plaque to commemorate Urban Hums selling 2.1 million copies of their third album. So if you subscribe... You will go into you go into this draw to win this. You can't buy this. This is a this is a prize that money can't buy. Unfortunately, me and Boise can't enter it, and we're and a bit we a bit peeved about that, eh? eh? Because I would love this. It's a fantastic prize. So, what to do if you haven't like subscribed? Hit the wee button below us and subscribe. Tell your pals to subscribe. I think we're close to 13,000 uh, subscribers. Yeah. I and right. I thought hopefully we'll have it tonight. So get subscribing and get put in the draw for a fantastic prize. And there's going to be monthly prize draws for all our subscribers going forward. Oh, but really? the first one's the first ones, Verves Urban Hums. Now, the DeLoreans went back. And Urban Hams was released in September 1997. Yep. And because it's a European night, um, we thought we would have a look at the match that took place on the 16th of September 1997, where seems to happen a lot of times, Russell, when we pick our games to do, it was raining. It was chucking it down. It was. We, we seem to pick games where the weather is utterly terrible and it was under the floodlights. What I really found strange about this, this was the first round of the UEFA Cup I know. in September.
1: Now, I know. That's, that seems like a bygone age, doesn't it? mm mm-hmm. I mean, we're starting earlier and earlier. You know, I mean, I, I was watching Sky Sports News earlier and they were talking about... I think it was Townsend signed for for Everett and they say, oh, everyone has got a bit of early summer business done and us Celtic fans are starting panicking at this stage of the summer that we've not, you know, we've only signed one player so far straight in the first team so it just goes to show you the summers are definitely drawing in in, in a Celtics football uh, you know, world so it's it's definitely it uh, does seem a long, long time ago that you were playing your first European match in September when we're giving up to tonight in the middle of July for our first uh, European game now, and um, with you know all eyes on the big prize. I know, I know, and that was one thing that struck me when I saw that. Um,
2: I was like, what's September? It's 16th for September, and it's right. the UEFA Cup first round." Um, no, this is like an historical matchup: two heavyweight clubs of European football. But we're basically struggling by this point. By the mid-90s, we've struggled and Liverpool have struggled to adapt to what was modern football. Modern football, which was born in 1992, Mm -hmm. uh, when Sky Sky took over and guys like Tim Lovejoy and that got into into football. Um, And we were... These clubs... Massive names. So this was, for me, this was rightly termed a Battle of Britain. We've had some Battle of Britons afterwards, like Celtic v Blackburn, for example. But for me, this is two
1: heavyweight clubs going go toe-to-toe. To toe. What do you think, Russell? I couldn't agree more. I remember the hype before the game when I was young, and it was, and it, you know, what was Howard. I was just approaching my 10th birthday. Um, I remember all the hype about it before. I mean we watch the highlights back. I mean, you think of those two clubs and you just instantly, you know, they are synonymous with British football or Celtics is synonymous with Scottish football, Liverpool synonymous with English football, whatever you prefer to describe it as. But these two clubs are undoubted clubs of huge pedigree, real fan bases, and perhaps at times not too not too far apart, I don't think not too dissimilar. I um, when you think of both clubs and what they stand for to their communities and their cities. So, aye, two absolute giants going head to head. We were one that was, though, you know, Liverpool had been going for the league title, I think, the year before. Um, And then I think they did a sticky month in March or something like that, and they'd blown it. But Celtic at this point was very much, uh, you know, what was it Jose Mourinho described Chelsea as when he first took them over, like a little calf getting milk. That's Mm -hmm. what we were at this stage of the season, you know. Before we became elite, um, obviously we know what happened at the end of the season by stopping the ten. But at this stage, it's very much a dodgy start to the league campaign, and the, we're entering a wee bit of the unknown with him, Janssen. here. We're not quite sure how it's, if we're going to pull this off, and um, come the end of the season. And this game, I think, was the first time that we've seen Celtic give you some insight into what the future lay ahead for the 97-98 the campaign. And, you know, a performance full of optimism and positivity, you've got to say.
2: Facebook user comes in, I'll just answer this question. If you're uh, yeah. already subbed, do you still get entered into the draw for the verve? Yes. Yes. A massive yes. Uh, you're right. You're right there. And this is... Uh, 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 there's a UEFA report and Liverpool got 2,700 tickets for this game and by the time we were going into the game they still had 100 tickets unsold which wow. I find utterly amazing uh, on for a night like this what, what when you when I look back at this game I was there that night and you look at the match reports as we do when we when we start looking when we start preparing for the, for the show. Yeah. I think this is a first match where the famed Celtic-European experience atmosphere was first mentioned. The rebuilt Celtic Park, and we still had the the temporary stand down yep. at, the, at the Celtic end. I'm going to call it the Celtic end, because I always will call it the Celtic end. Um, so you had like... The mentions of P, there's, there's mentions of the pre-match atmosphere. As the game goes on, it says the Celtic crowd drove this team on, because as you see, this was a, this is probably Wim Janssen's finest moment in the first couple of months, and it's yeah. probably one of our greatest before it's probably one of our best performances that that whole season that night. Yeah. Um, so, do you disagree with that? Do you, think this is the, or do you think this game was the birth
1: of the modern European atmosphere, which is so fabled and renowned over Europe? I think you've got a good point there as well, because when you contrast it with our other sort of European forays of the 90s, this game sticks out like a sore thumb, let's be honest. It it's does. the one where we've had a lot of disappointing results over the years against clubs, no as glamorous or whatever, and yet when we get on paper what looks like as hard a first-round Europe Cup match you could possibly dream of getting, we actually completely step up to the plate and suddenly the mood changes, Kev, and suddenly you start thinking bring on the big boys to Celtic Park because we can get them, that our team, to just go that extra 10% when we create that atmosphere, and that might be what we need against the big boys, and you're absolutely right. I think when we talk about Vim Jansen's like obviously his tenure there, this was a glimpse into what he was going to achieve that season with us. But as a as a fan base, we got a glimpse of what was about to come what was around the corner really in the next couple of years in terms of European nights at Celtic Park, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the team out to you. So the yeah. Celtic team that
2: took the field that night was Jonathan Gould, Tom Boyd, Stephen Mahy, Jackie Mack, Alan Stubbs, a certain Mister Larson, Craig Burley, Reggie Blinker, who was replaced by Phil O'Donnell at half time, Simon Donnelly, David Hanna, and Morton Weekhurst. Now, when you look back at some of the names on that Celtic team, there's not there's some. Guys who some people would rather forget played played for Celtic. David Hanna being one. He actually played somewhat deeper this night. I think he mm-hmm. almost played in a back three at one point. He was, mm-hmm. he was playing that deep. Um, again, you look at that team that you've got Gould, Boyd, and Mahi. Um, what's your thoughts when you see that team back written and
1: uh, written down? I think guess, it's guess a sign of where we were at that time as well. Like we've we've spoke about, there was more of a European sort of flavour in terms of nationalities in the squad beginning to become the norm. But there's a couple of guys signed straight from the EPL as well, like Blinker, Burley, do you know what I mean? Gould, I think, as well. And then you've got that mixed with a couple of players like Simon Donnelly who came to the youth set-up. odonnell has been there a long time by then, albeit I know he was signed from Motherwell about 1991, Um. Then there's like other players signed from Scotland from within Scotland, like V-Cost and Hannah. It's not the worst blend to be sort of basing on the face of what you would like a Celtic team to look like. A couple of players from the top league down south that perhaps are out of favour or whatever when we got them, but still come with decent pedigrees. Quite a few foreign internationals. Then you've got your more sort of homegrown players um that have been signed from within the SPF. I don't think it's I quite like the I quite like the balance and the blend of, of the makeup of the team, and on the subs bench that night, obviously, follow
2: O'Donnell comes on. You've got Gordon Marshall, Tosh McKinley, Malky Mackay, Andy Tom, Arico Anone and Stuart Gray. That's uh, that, that these they ended up being the unused subs that night. Uh, the Liverpool team. David James in goal. Uh, Mark Wright still playing for them no, as well, oh, is it? Uh, Mark Wright still playing for it. Dominic Matteo, who went mm-hmm. on to get a couple of Scotland caps. You've got McManaman. You've got Paul Lince. Um that, uh, that would have been
1: after his uh, Inter Milan es- es- yeah. Sp- but, spell. David Inter Milan, and back to, then came back and joined Man United's rivals, Liverpool. I think he might have only signed that summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol Riedler.
2: I always what loved. I always loved him. Uh, a seventeen-year-old Michael Owen, who was just exploding onto the scene at that point, yeah. and th- Thomas. So I'm presuming it's Michael Thomas. That's uh, the one I didn't know much about. Uh, uh, Michael Thomas, who is for ever known, oh, I could get my Thomas's mixed up here. So somebody mm-hmm. in the comments can get me right here. I'm sure Michael Thomas scored the winning goal for Arsenal in 1989 at Anfield. I'm sure that is the same Michael Thomas. On the bench, you've got Patrick Berger, uh, Phil Bab, Kennedy, Jamie Carragher, Danny Murphy and Jason McAteer. Who was the sub-goalkeeper?
1: Tony Warner.
2: Tony Warner was yes. the sub-goalkeeper who would <laughs> play for Celtic for a couple of games in the, fo- the following season under do- Joe Vickman, was, including... The including the famous 5 1 game, the 5 1 game, which was the last ever Celtic Rangers game played at three o'clock on a Saturday. If you didn't know that, uh, the 5 the, the, the 1 game wasn't live on the TV, it was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So, so because Celtic Park's still getting rebuilt, uh, there's 48,000 there, 48,526. And right away, Liverpool show they are the better side overall. They've got far better quality. And in the six minute, uh, McManaman plays in Carlos Wiedler, who fight, who puts a great ball through to Michael Owen, and basically our defence is all, all at sea. It's like a knife yeah. and butter. Owen's through on goal, and you, and Michael Owen does what Michael Owen does for the next five, six, seven year. He beats Jonathan Goldwell. Can we chip across him? And they're one nothing down and I remember the feeling in the stadium that night it was like a bone going down it would deflate we did not start this game well that night Russell.
1: no no I, I, I agree with you but um, I thought the maturity of Owen's finish see when you forget you you know you're watching the best compliment I could pay as finishing there is you completely for, I completely forgot until you said he was 17 that he was only 17 there such is the nature of the finish that's done with a real calm head. And you're absolutely right. I think the way the game started is Liverpool's took control early bells and we're a bit rattled because there's been a lot of hype about the game. There's an amazing atmosphere. I mean, it's not been going to plan. We've not dealt with that particularly well. Our defence at sea, you must be joking, Kev. Paul here comes in and says our
2: defence at sea, you must be joking, Kev. Uh, well, our, I our, a bit sarcasm <laughs> in that. Uh, our defence has been at sea probably ever since I've been watching Celtic apart <laughs> from especially in Europe apart from maybe under a wee spell under Martin O'Neill and Gordon Stratton. um Duke comes in and tells us it is the same Michael Thomas that scored the last minute winner nice for, for Arsenal who created a Fever Pitch because that's what the whole book Fever Pitch where Nick Hornby is mm-hmm. based on that winning goal. And um, we could have been out of us. Out we could have been out of this. That uh, we could have been out this too. I've I've brought up the wrong comment. There. See, this is what you get when I'm trying to do two things at once. You're getting there, mate. Don't worry about it. You're doing good. We could have been out this tie in the first twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, Liverpool absolutely destroyed us in the first twenty minutes, and it was interesting reading the players' comments after the game. They admit that they admitted that, but it, it wasn't until half an hour in the game that they decided to get a foothold into the game and started to play. And I remember at that night, I was glad to go in at half time, one nothing, because we had mm-hmm. started to come back into the game. So, just after half time, fifty three minutes. Wee Jackie plays a 1-2 with Craig Burley. There's a bit of a strum ash in the box. A ball breaks to Jackie and a left foot finish on the half volley and at the top corner. It's a fantastic finish from a player who is not known
1: for like for using his left foot. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic finish. I've got to say the 1-2 with Burley was absolutely awful. The pass from Burley, I mean, I don't know what he's trying to do there. He sort of dinked it in at waist height. And the only the only way that that 1-2 has actually worked is because the defence is as baffled as Jackie McNamara is when the ball comes spinning round the corner at waist height at him. But it's caused enough confusion for the wee ricochet and the quickest thinker at that moment in time was Jackie and the execution is outstanding in the left peg. But I like the way, you know, you forget... McNamara, it's easy when you think of players that were at Celtic for years. Like, I think Scott Brown, when you mention his name right you now, you think of his most recent couple of seasons, do you know what I mean? And then you'll see footage of him under track and skinning folk, and you'll be like, hey, look, and see the way Jackie's just slathering up the right, zigzagging, ducking, diving. Oh, it was brilliant. And with a fair bit of pace about him, too. I mean, if you think at that age, Jackie would have been what, 23, 24, mm-hmm. and a completely different player from the one you then associated with him under Martin O'Neill for example, he had his renaissance there. So I really finish. I can't I can't I can't
2: really remember tactics uh, or anything like that. I don't really pick up on things like that. But I'm sure Jackie was playing on the right hand side of midfield that night. I'm sure wing he back. wasn't playing and um, no he wasn't playing wing back. he was he actually was in he was actually in the midfield. Um, I'm sure that is the case. Tom Lloyd was talking back
0: as the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did
2: he? The commentator says it went mm. bad, did it? Mm. Interesting.
1: <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm sure it was. You get it wrong all the time. I'm trusting you, Kev. <laughs> I'm sure John he was. was I oh, can't trust me over Morty, Mottie, man. Morty's a legend.
1: I wanted uh, to bring that up though. How good was his commentary? See when you heard it, it was brilliant. brilliant. His brilliant. commentary, something
2: else. Really, really good. I enjoyed that. It's good when you hear these old commentaries back, and you get guys like uh, Archie, Arthur Montfort, and especially the big English guys that you'll never ben heard David. on Barry Davis, guys of like that you'll never heard on internationals. Or when you drew an English team in Europe or FA Cup final day, that was the only time you heard these commentators mm-hmm. doing their full gig. Obviously, you would have the match of the day eh, gig and all of that, eh? but it's good to hear these commentators. And when you hear some of the commentators just now, that, that the Euros of the last couple of weeks, there's some of them absolutely rank rotten. Who shouldn't actually be anywhere near a microphone and comment and, and commentating on any sort of football whatsoever? Uh, funnily enough, one of the worst guys who who was a co-commentator in the Euros is on the bench for Liverpool that night. Danny Murphy, <laughs> Danny, oh. Danny Murphy was absolutely horrendous
1: in the Euros there uh, being Awful, a co-commentator. Mate. He is terrible. I agree with your whole article that him and Lee Dixon did not cover themselves in glory. It was almost as if, like, Danny Murphy had morphed into
2: Matt Lawrenson <laughs> and, and hated everything about football whatsoever. He <laughs> detested the game. It, it, it just didn't like it? I mean, for me, his lack of knowledge was showed up when he says that he thought people will be now seeing that Dom Aruma could be quite a good goalkeeper. The guy has the guy has been playing for AC Milan since he's been sixteen. He's just moved to PSG, and Danny Murphy and his wisdom has now went well. People will see that he might be a good goalkeeper. Well, that's not even nonsense, eh? And it. it's a lot of knowledge. Definitely, D- definitely, we get the equaliser. We are the better team. I think the equaliser comes with a panic in the Liverpool defence because they know we've got a foothold within the game and yep. there's and there's forty five thousand mad tims shouting this team on to actually get back in the game. Let's get a result. We are the better side, but it took us to the seventy fourth minute when Martin Weakhorse plays a great ball to Henrik Larsen. Larsen gets there before David James and James just basically wipes him out. Um, and it's a stonewall penalty kick. Well, I can't remember, but you're going back to the commentary. But the comment the commentators were going on about another penalty kick claim beforehand, and they kept on going on about it. And I'm going, I can't remember another penalty kick claim. But there's no arguments about this one. This is a
1: stonewall penalty. Absolutely. And you know something as well? See the ball through. Don't get me wrong. Hendricks' timing is impeccable and all that. But you expect that from from the king of kings. But v Cost, I was thinking about you, I was looking at the sub's bench. See what it it's mental. Andy Tom, we've raved about on of Celica how many times, Kev, do you know what I mean? As to what level of football he, he was and what a coup he was to be getting him um, into Celtic. He'd only been there a couple of years by this point. And mm-hmm. it's the likes of v Cost that's now keeping him at the team. You know? It's amazing, I think, you know, guys signed for Dundee, everyone was, Vim was obviously very much, didn't, wasn't bored with reputations. He just wanted the best players in the team on the on the on the night and uh, you know on, on match day, whatever the match was. And I just I loved seeing that V pass. I, I probably was a wee bit ignorant to him having that in his locker, but it's a brilliant ball through. Uh, Henrik's runs too good and David James, well calamity James, whatever you want to call him. Um, you knew you, Henrik knew he was going to trip him. Obviously, V Course got the the illness, I know.
2: Uh, but, but, Soon after that, I can't actually remember the the actual timescale, but it was soon after that. But I I reckon Big Weecost was a classy player. He Mm -hmm. he had a good range of passing. He had a good range of energy. um, And you mock, well, you didn't mock, but people would mock that you signed this guy from Dundee. But it wasn't just the fact he was six foot blonde and Danish that he stood out. In that Dundee side, he stood out in that Dundee side because he was the best player in their squad by the, by the length of Dens Park Road. He scored goals, didn't he? He did, he did, and I was extremely happy when Celtic signed Martin Mikkelsen oh, well. because I knew that he could do a job. I knew he had the the football tools to fit into how I want Celtic to play. And he also had the tools to fit into a Wim Janssen Celtic as well, because a Wim Janssen Celtic was more functional than the the rip roaring free scoring Tommy Burns Celtic, which, which had just replaced. Okay. And Wim Janssen will admit that himself, and anybody that watched Wim Janssen Celtic will actually say they were a functional side who knew their job and got results, but they weren't. They weren't like. Like We had we had four years of Tommy Burns who was yeah. throwing everything into attack and Jansen came in there and tightened up the whole ship and won, done done his job, won as a league. Uh, at one point, when you get to the January that year, I mean, we're still... we we're, we're actually... We're still on the point of... We could have won a treble that year. We get to the semi-final mm-hmm. against... Uh, we got beat off Rangers at Celtic Park in the semi-final. Um, and... We could have won a treble that year because we'd already won the League Cup. Uh, we won the league. And I remember there was a game, Boxing Day. I think it was Boxing Day at Aberdeen. And we won 1-0. Uh, Craig Burley scored a penalty kick. And I remember coming back down on the supporters bus on the way, way down the road, singing, we were going to win the lot. We were going to win the lot. We, we were actually... He could have scraped us off the, the, the minibus ceiling on the way back down. We actually believed that we were going to win everything that year. That well, maybe was just a uh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, buckfast bravado or whatever it was at the time. we were uh, Whatever it was uh, coming back down the road, but we really did believe that we were actually going to win the lot. And that was some change from the start of the season, getting beat mm-hmm. off Dunfermline. And as you say, this match is a catalyst. This yep. match Spindle. is a catalyst for us to go on for what we achieved that season. The penalty kick being Henrik Larson's on the park and number 14, Simon
1: Donnelly, steps up to take it. What was your, what, if, what was your thoughts on that? What, what well, were you thinking? I remember that it was Simon Donnelly that took it, right? And I was like... I'd forgotten. If you told me how did we win that penalty, I wouldn't have remembered that. So of course, with it being won by Henrik, as well, you're like, "Oh yeah, that is mad." That you know, Simon Donnelly took that, and it's one of those ones, right? I watched the I watched the highlights twice today, and both times you're watching, you think the ball could go over the bar still, even though you know it doesn't. It? but you definitely uh, oh, that could go, yeah, that could go over, but to flip it. You've got to give Donnelly his due. It is very deliberate. He has went top bins against Liverpool mm-hmm. when it's the game's on a knife edge. That takes bottle. And Simon Donnelly at that point again, like Matt Amara, would have been 22, 23 years old. It would have been yes. So I just think that's uh, I think that that was class that he had the you know the bottle to do that in such a manner. The reason you put you know the reason players put penalties and aim for the top corners because keep don't no keep receiving them if you put it there. But it's high risk, high reward when you're going for top bins because firstly, if you miss, there's a good chance you've missed the target, and therefore there's no rebound opportunity or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But if it if it is on target, it's a certain goal. Would Where I have the bottle to do that? <laughs> I'm not sure.
2: Ask Duke. 8199 says, Morton was a very elegant footballer. It was that. And Jed Sweeney says, Morton was a go of a player. Um, and I'm, I'm not Brilliant. going to disagree with that.
1: Brilliant.
2: What you've got to remember, you're saying gone top bin. David James is a unit. David oh, James yeah. is some size. David James is, a, is an American fridge, standing in Nagels, waving waving his hands like a, like a big windmill. So Donnelly's probably known that he's going to move and, he's, and he knows that, he says, if he goes the right way, I've got to get height on this to actually get it by him. And what I loved about Simon, the fact that he's got the number 14 on when obviously squad numbers are coming into play, he's got the number 14 on. And see that night, Simon Donnelly was the best player on the part for Celtic, a country mile. Mm-hmm. and And for me... Without reading into it or anything like that, I reckon he took that penalty kick because he was that confident of his performance up to the 73rd minute. He says, mm-hmm. I'm scoring this. Everything I'm doing tonight is coming off for me. So I'm taking this penalty kick and I'm going to score this penalty kick. Uh, but as you say, I was there. I was sitting up at the other end that night. And even before I rewatched it today, I... I could can, I can say it hits the underside of the bar and goes in. I can remember it vividly. And as you say, you still expect it to miss. You still expect it to hit that underside of the bar and spin back out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's interesting what you say. We were well on top at that time. And we go 2-1 up and, strangely enough, tonight, and there's probably something that we'll speak about on the on the pre-match, away goals didn't they now count. So I know. The, the, the Celtic team that night, Donnelly celebrates. Nobody else celebrates with him. Somebody goes and grabs the ball and they go back to the halfway line, knowing that they probably need another goal because of their way goal. And there's also a bit of confidence in that. And, and the, the commentators mention that as well. They go, this Celtic team expected to score a second and now they look like they're up for scoring a third because they're that on top. They could smell, they could smell blood. Um, that's And this is where I'm going back to. This was the birth of us taking, the seeds were sown that night of us taking major scalps at Celtic Park and the crowd being that
1: ultimate 12th man. I couldn't agree more with that synopsis, Kelly. That's exactly what it was. It was a wee bit of insight. As I say, I think it was insight for what Wim's team was going to produce for that season going forward. And uh, I think it was definitely an insight as to what Celtic Park once completed as well, was you know, what a fortress it was that it was about to become uh, once again in, in Europe as well. I just think the Donnelly penalty you're spot on, it's a confidence thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we've obviously just came out like the Euros, for example, and stuff. And yeah, I've got an uncanny record, I'm not joking, of picking who'll score and who'll miss. I know that's, you know, I'm sure a million people could say that, but I don't know why. But I think you can read the body language and the confidence and all that and you can tell, and you're absolutely right, the way Donnelly's taking that penalty scoring, but that reaction of grabbing the ball at the net and taking it and carrying it back to centre circle, whilst Donnelly, by the way, you're saying he's away celebrating, he's standing with his arms just nodding his head, all Right. <laughs> so before you know it, if you're looking about, Liverpool's seeing a team in a rush now to get the ball back in play because they think they're going to score again. You've got the wee guy who's having, as you say, the game of his life, with his hands aloft, swaggering away, just walking to the fans. And you've got, uh, you know, a crazy volume now coming from 50,000 fans that is extremely vocal, volatile, in the zone. Everything's in the zone. And it's just, it's, at that point I think that game could have it could have went another way. You know, it could have that could have turned into a really like a famous result. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to it being a near miss. It could have it could have done, and that probably brings us that probably
2: brings us back to the equaliser. And when you look at the when you look at the equaliser, Liverpool start this in the eight, 90th minute of the game playing the ball around around their back across the back line. They are happy with 2 1. They make no attempt to hoof this ball up the park. And they're just playing the ball inside their own 18 yard box and Celtic are not and Celtic are not pushing. Celtic are not doing the high press. No. And they roll the ball out to McManaman and he must be about say twenty five thirty yards from his goal. And he basically runs the length of the field unchallenged to the edge of the 18-yard box and curls in a fantastic goal. Now, when you read the the, the press clippings and all that, it's one of the greatest goals ever ever scored at Celtic Park by an opposition player. It wasn't a challenged. There was no. not. There was not one challenge. There was not one challenge. Meaningful challenge. Now. I saw on Twitter today that somebody says, "Are mm-hmm. you going to have a fifteen-minute rant about Morton McOst not challenging uh, McManaman when McManaman when McManaman puts the ball round one side and goes round other?" I am going to give Big McM- Morton a free pass here. He was nowhere near McManaman to actually put in any sort of challenge whatsoever. McManaman is by him before there is even any reaction mm-hmm. with that. If you were going to blame anybody, you've got Stefan Maia, who comes out half-heartedly and then decides to back off again. And you've got David Hanna, who's the only Celtic player to get within five yards of McManaman, who doesn't actually pull him down. And for people for me to actually blame Cost when you look at the goal again, Cost hasn't got the opportunity to bring him down at any point.
1: But when I watched it back, because I knew I'd seen that tweet as well, and I did chuckle, I'm not going to lie. Um, when I watched it back, it was, I thought it was Alan Stubbs that was kind of over it as well at the edge of the box, and he sort of sticks a leg, you know, like. and you think, you contrast and compare that with what we're about to get in these sort of European nights, when you will be coming up against players of the Ilka McManaman, who goes on to win the Champions League and all that, and what we then seen three, four years later was, Jos Haran, Johan Mbappe, Baldy launching themselves at uh, the; these not sticking out legs going side on, and so he they didn't even want to let them get the shot. The amount of times you used to see even not just one of them, but a couple of them at the same time, big huge units s- spreading their legs and sliding out as fast as they could to try and and get it, close the angle as much as they could, and they would have took the ball in the chin. We look very tentative. We did. We, we, we looked
2: knackered and Stubbs should have, as you quite rightly say, Stubbs should have attacked the ball. It should, as, soon as, as soon as McManaman gets to that 25, 23, 22, 21 yard, Stubbs should be gone. It's a waste of time me backing off any longer. I've got to go out and stop yep. this player. My when he goes half-heartedly out, then backs off gives McManaman that push to keep on going. If Maia goes out and like the madman he was, horses him into orbit like some wannabe Elon Musk, all then good. then it's all good. Maya gets the booking and, and we carry on. If Hannah brings him down with a rugby tackle when he's at 25 yards from goal, yes, they might have scored from the free kick, but you're not allowing them a free shot in the 90th minute of of a cup tie. Exactly. And, uh, when I saw that comment today about B. cost I'm going I don't think B. cost is the one to blame here
1: I mean it's just the first player to see him I think so that, that, that that you remember you associate with him sort of going by his first touch as well in that movement man I mean, as you say deep in his own half but the way he takes it round uh, the Celtic player I can't remember who it is now but it's just outstanding uh, uh, as we cost he takes it that round is weak. Uh, as B. cost he
2: takes it the way he does that is round. class uh-huh. uh, uh, that is class and it is a fantastic goal. I remember again at yeah. the time being completely gutted that it went in. Uh, but when you look at it, uh, it's one of the. It is a good goal, but it's not an absolutely. The distance that he's travelled is. Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed. But it's impressive that the distance that he travelled, at the speed that he travelled with the ball under control. That's why Barcelona, a couple of weeks before, had, had bid £12 million for him. That's how you know, he ends up. That's how he ends up going to Real Madrid because he had that in his locker. But there is opportunities for the Celtic players to have the old Italian
1: gamemanship and just take them out of the game. Take, the, feet, kick, the, take, the, take the booking. What did I say at the start? I mean, I just think that's Wim Janssen's little little cow or whatever it was. The Mourinho expression was, and there's still a wee bit of naivety there. Eh? Definitely, there was. Again, it could have been effort that could have been fitness
2: which stopped them, which kept the players backing off and backing off. But I'm sure when they got back into the dressing room, there probably was an inquest of why did oh. we not stop? Why did we not stop them? It was a fantastic night. It was one of these when you look at the papers the following day, the Battle of Britain tag and Celtic do Scotland, Scotland proud, and they stood up against a more richer foes, and. You do like a good battle, of Britain, don't you? You do like oh, a good. You, you do like oh, a good. It's, I loved a couple of years ago when Man City came and everybody yeah. expected Man City to trounce us, and it was free each. And again, that was another night where where there was a phenomenal atmosphere. And you, you do look forward to these European nights, and. Celtic, for me, Celtic Park was born that night. The European Celtic part was born that night. And it was just unfortunate we couldn't actually get the result in the second leg, which ended up nothing each. Uh, and Simon Donnell actually missed a great one-on-one chance <laughs> a, 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 in, in the second leg. <laughs> On that point, I'll bring up Frank Brennan, who doesn't really like us, talking up Simon Donnelly. Frank Brennan says, Simon Donnelly was only one of the worst strikers. It was my complete misfortune to see in a Celtic jersey. The only other person who was worse than him was the even more pathetic Wayne Biggins. Wow. I I think Frank is on uh, the wrong peace pipe there. Um, Simon Donnelly was a decent great player and in no way should be ever quoted in the same paragraph sentence statement
1: as Wayne Biggins eh Frank's nervous about the game tonight mate I'm telling you that's just a wee bit of pre-match nerves coming out and he's taking it out on poor Sid but no I mean I, I disagree with that Frank I think that's a wee bit I think that's pretty harsh when you consider Wayne Biggins, Rasmussen he was better than the likes of them eh it was definitely. I, 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 what you've got
2: to remember is he used the the Bosman ruling well, and um, he went to Sheffield Wednesday. No, I'm just having a look at the clock. Eh? Is that? Oh, that's ten past seven. eh? <laughs> oh, I haven't even started talking about Urban Hams yet. <laughs> uh, right, I actually got mixed up there. I thought we started at quarter past six. So I was having a look at the clock, thinking and it was seven o'clock. I don't say uh, anything. I just <laughs> sat he's done it again. This is oh, great. right, right. What we'll do, Russell, is that we'll reconvene this Urban Hams uh, right. talk at one point. But we'll do another game with Urban Hams. But I hope that everybody's looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back in about five minutes to actually <laughs> discuss the game in the pre-match build-up. Um, Subscribe, please, so you can win a fantastic prize to do with the Verves Urban Huns. And me and Muscle will be back at Stream Silicon next week, where we will definitely talk about the Verves Urban, Urban Huns. Um, so, all it's for me and Boise to say is see you later and come on the sales. Thanks for everybody for listening. Thank you, Blacks.
1: Cheers, my man.
0: When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports
2: Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.